Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with the professor, John Clayton. All right, welcome to School with the Professor, and uh, joining us, we're going to talk a lot of Seahawks, we're going to talk a lot of quarterbacks, we're going to talk a lot of NFL with Jake Heaps, who's obviously you know, on, the, on the air from 12 until 3, and so uh, we we got to start off right, right now talking about, well, let's talk about the guy that you've worked with and what's going on with him, you know, Jacob Eason. What do you think it stands right now for where his stock is in the draft? Yeah, if there's any player or, you know, obviously there's a, there's multiple players that are affected by it and for different reasons, but I think Jacob Eason is a guy that definitely uh, could get affected by the the coronavirus situation in, in a way that uh, may be more impactful than some of the other quarterbacks that are in that range of anywhere from four to six. And I think that's kind of where Jacob Eason is when you talk to, you know, different scouting personnel. Um, you know, some have them as high as three, um, you know. But I, I think for Jacob, one of the biggest things for him was to be able to physically go and work out in front of people and physically go and interview um, with these different uh, personnel uh, groups because the, the, I think the big part of it is they want to get a feel for him and who he is. Um, and obviously you do that through Zoom, but it just doesn't have the same, you know, feeling. Um, so the thing is, though, John, when it's all said and done, I still think that Jacob's got a great chance to be a first-rounder because, as you know, when it comes to quarterbacks and it comes to talented quarterbacks, a lot of teams want that fifth-year option. It's it's cheaper for them down the road. It gives them that flexibility of whether they want to, get, you know, uh, tag that player with that fifth-year option or or not. And and I think he's got a, a great opportunity to still be a first-round pick. But ultimately, I would not be surprised to see him slide to the second. Um, and and a big part of that, I believe, would be uh, because he just simply wasn't able to. Uh, go and see teams physically in person. So I'm, I'm curious to see what ends up happening with them. See, one of the things I think is working against him, uh, you know, aside from the fact that he doesn't, you know, doesn't have the ability to have the individual workout that everybody can see up front, is the fact that uh, you look in the AFC and you can have maybe nine, ten, eleven quarterbacks that are in their rookie contracts. Particularly, say for example, if the Patriots go with Jared Stidham at quarterback, and so you have not as many teams looking for quarterbacks. And that could cause a drop. And I mean, again, it's maybe not as pronounced as what we saw back in 2005, because I still remember back then. I mean, Alex Smith, Smith ended up with the uh, first pick, and then I, I was talking to Ted Thompson in Green Bay the day before the draft, and I said, "I'm telling you this right now, is that if uh, if you you have Aaron Rodgers go past nine, he's going to fall to you at like about 25, 26." And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And so there's a whole line of quarterbacks, you know, after, say, uh, Tampa Bay at 14, the, the teams that just probably aren't going to be taking a quarterback, maybe unless it's New England. Yeah, that's a great point, John. Um, very good point. And I think that there's uh, a couple factors in there. There's one team that I think there's a couple different scenarios like this that could potentially play out. Like, let's look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, for example. Pittsburgh may be interested in potentially taking a guy like Jacob Eason from the simple fact that, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, obviously the goal and the hope is, is that he plays for two, two more years, three more years and, and is able to, you know, uh, play out his remaining, his remaining contract. But after that, you have Mason Rudolph, 
you went with uh, Duck Hodges last year, as fun as that was, it's not necessarily ideal for you to try to get to the playoffs. And so you could develop a young, talented quarterback like Jacob Eason during the time you know Ben Roethlisberger is going, who is very similar in terms of style, stature, um, arm talent, all of that. Uh, so that's that's another place uh, that could potentially take a flyer on a guy like that. Now that's not saying that that's a that's a guarantee or that's what they're going to do, but I think that there's some teams like that in the uniqueness of this situation that may take an uh, an opportunity on a guy like Jacob Eason. Um, you know, there's Jordan Love as well. A lot of teams have him all over the board. So uh, I think for Jacob Eason, uh, Jordan Love, and Jalen Hurts, it's really about how much have these teams fallen in love with them and ultimately uh, where do they see their futures um, and could sitting behind some of these veteran guys be really key for them. Um, and, and, and so that's where I'm going to be curious about, John, is you're right. After Tampa, um, it, it's certainly going to be a major slide for any of these guys, and it would be maybe some teams trying to trade up at the end of the first round at, to secure that fifth-year option, like I mentioned earlier, yeah. for guys like Jacob Eason, Jordan Love, or Jalen Hurts. No, that's a great point because <clears throat> you're right about that. Because uh, you know, it's like, like for example, in the case of Pittsburgh, you know, they're they're hurt by the standpoint that they traded a first-round pick, you know, for Mika Fitzpatrick. And so now their position is is that you know they've got to take care of a need, and that could be guard because you know, Raymond Foster retired and B.J. Finney came here to Seattle, and so they may need, mm-hmm. need to take a guard and a position player in the second round, or maybe even more so an outside linebacker because Bud Dupree is in on the franchise tag and a free agent next year, and they got to do something with T.J. Watt here coming up soon. So that may hurt them. The one team that I think is intriguing for Jacob could be the Indianapolis Colts because the the Colts did trade out of the first round to get DeForest Buckner, but they have two picks in the second round. So I think what happens at the second pick in the uh, second round, they take a wide receiver. But I can see that next pick in the second round, which I think is somewhere in the early 40s, I think that's where uh, Jacob could go and play behind, or at least learn behind, Phillip Rivers. Absolutely. And, and that's the other interesting situation, John, is due to the uniqueness of uh, the coronavirus uh, and limiting players from and rookies uh, from having a full off season, from getting to OTAs, rookie minicamp, um, uh, mandatory minicamp, you're losing a significant amount of practice reps for these young rookie quarterbacks. And so, John, I know that we're looking at Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, um, Justin Herbert is obviously the, the main top three here that will get selected pretty high, but I have to imagine that it's changing a lot of the uh, thought process for these organizations in terms of how quickly some of these young rookie quarterbacks play. Um, you know, I've talked to multiple, um, you know, uh, uh, teams and, and scouting departments. And, and for example, you know, I think the Miami Dolphins, you look at Ryan Fitzpatrick and what they did with the, you know Josh Rosen last year. I think that they're going to have a very similar approach with whoever they pick, whether it's Justin Herbert or Tua Tagovailoa, is saying, "Look, we're not going to rush this. We are going to make sure that these young quarterbacks are ready because we have a stable guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick in front who can take the brunt of this uniqueness of this year." Um, and, and also look at Cincinnati. I mean, everybody thought that Andy Dalton was going to get traded and, and moved, and um, they've, they've, stand, they've stayed pat on Andy Dalton. 
And I don't think that's an accident, John. I think that they're also looking at, okay, we're going to draft Joe Burrow. We love Joe Burrow. You know, this is, this is going to be a great fit for us. But ultimately, we have to protect these young players. And if, and if we feel like we're going to rush their development or that they're simply not ready because they didn't have an offseason and they're only going to have a training camp, to be with our organization and with our with our with his receivers, that might not be enough time to get him fully ready to play. And so maybe they roll out Andy Dalton, um, and Miami rolls out Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, to begin the year, and maybe they take over those young rookies take over midway through the year. But I think it changes a lot of the a lot of the approach with these young rookie quarterbacks across the board. Well, we saw the first of that this week because Ron Rivera had his uh, press conference uh, via uh, teleconferencing, and he basically said that uh, Kyle, even though Dwayne Haskins was a starting quarterback at the end of last year for the Redskins, this more likely than not that Kyle Allen, who he traded a fifth-round pick to acquire, and of course he coached him back in Carolina, is most likely going to be the starting quarterback. Yeah, yep, it's, and, and that's another fantastic point. Um, why? Maybe not because Kyle Allen is the most talented uh, or is the guy that's the most deserving. If there was a true quarterback battle, obviously we won't uh, find out until uh, the season rolls around, but because he's more familiar with the system. And you have the same offensive coordinator that came from Carolina, and Kyle Allen will be a instant plug-and-play. Uh, there won't be any uh, learning curve for him for the offense, and Dwayne Haskins, there will be. So that's a great point um, as well, John, and I think this is definitely going to affect the way that they approach it. And so uh, I, I think that also comes into an interesting point of view for the draft uh, itself as a whole, John, is when you look at the draft and the way personnel uh, front offices are looking at who they're going to select, there's two, there's two main situations or thought processes is can this player contribute right away in 2020? Is there a role that we see this guy fulfilling, whether it's Chase Young and he's an instant plug and play and we think he can be a frontline guy right away, or are there guys that are going to be unique prospects that maybe we can find them a a role in an offense or a defense but really this is going to be a red shirt year so to speak and throwing out college terms a red shirt for some of these main prospects that we have and 2021 is when we're going to expect them to be main uh, contributors to our roster frontline guys so it's really interesting and i'm excited to see you know how the draft goes and and our team's going to be um are they going to play things more safely than they normally would because of the uniqueness of the offseason, because they're not going to have as much time to develop these guys? When, from talking to the people that you talk to, uh, what are you hearing as far as where teams stand as far as Tua Tunga Viola, as far as his injury history? I know Mike Lombardi on a podcast for The Athletic this week said that he's heard of two first-round teams that failed his physical, and that's not unusual. That that happens a mm-hmm. lot, and those are teams that probably aren't looking for quarterbacks, so it doesn't play in. But is there a Correct. chance that Tua is going to drop from five because of his injury history there's always a chance john I, you know you learn in this business that there's always a chance of that happening but i think teams are too intrigued by Tua Tagovailoa. when you just look at his physical skill set uh it's off the charts when you look at his intangibles his intangibles remind me a lot of russell wilson um 
you know, and, and that that goes to show how high his, his intangibles are. He's just off the charts in terms of who he is, his personality, what he brings to the table, um, to a locker room, um, what what his presence is like on the field. I think he just has that unique presence, that it factor to him, so to speak. Um, but sure, yeah, the injury history is something that is a concern, and I think that that's why you see a team like the Miami Dolphins. I mean, how long have we been talking about Miami, Miami, and, and Tua, right? Miami is tanking for Tua. Well, now I think that conversation changed a little bit where it's not a clear-cut thing that Miami is going to take Tua um, and that possibly they could take Justin Herbert um, because of the injury history. So I, I have a hard time seeing him drop past uh, that, uh, to be honest, John, but there's certainly a conversation that teams are trying to really do their due diligence on Justin Herbert more than anything you know can they do they see Justin Herbert being a all pro caliber type of quarterback uh, in the right situation and I think that that's the main evaluation that's going on because if they do Justin Herbert has far less concerns in terms of uh, injury history than Tua obviously and and so uh, that might lean an organization to take him over Tua but no I, I think the league is is they still recognize the special talent that that Tua Tagovailoa is. Okay, so let's switch gears and talk about the Seahawks. And I know that uh, you're really high on the signing of uh, Philip Dorsett. I mean, you know him. What does he bring? And we know he's got four three three speed. But and of course, you are so tight with Russell Wilson. What does uh, Dorsett mean to this offense? Yeah, John. The reason why I am high on this move um, is for a couple reasons. One. Obviously, I know Philip uh, very well, um, and with that inside, you know, in knowledge and of who he is, I think he just fits into this organization really well in terms of you know his style of play. Uh, obviously, like you just mentioned, absolutely can fly four three three. Um, I watched him at Miami clock a four two five. I mean, the guy can flat out run um but he is a he's a good route runner he's a better route runner than than people may give him credit for um but he just never had has had a breakout season and and that has always been peculiar to me but with phil uh, in this offense you don't need him to be a breakout player you need him to be a very solid contributor and if you look at David Moore, you look at uh, Jerome Brown, I think Philip Dorsett brings more stability to the table than those two guys. Is a is a uh, more reliable route runner, is um, a veteran, um, and, and you can move him around in a couple different places, and, and he's a guy that can you can really utilize down the field with double moves, um, with those deep crossing routes that they love to run in Seattle's offense. And so I, I think he's just a good fit for what they want to do and can alleviate some of the pressure off of Tyler and DK and, and have another solid receiver that uh, Russell Wilson can uh, rely on. The other aspect of it is I think, you know, we just talked about um, at length about the, the difference of, uh, what this offseason is going to look like because of COVID-19. Well, I think Dorsett being signed is a part of that. I don't, I'm not saying that the, that the Seahawks uh, won't take a receiver in the draft, but I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't just from the simple fact that uh, do you have the confidence that 
you can develop a young rookie receiver um, when we all know that receivers, it's it's not always the easiest transition for them to, to you know play at a high level right away. And so you now bring in Philip Dorsett, who is a veteran, who's played with Andrew Luck, who's played with Tom Brady. Now he's going to have a chance to play with Russell Wilson. Um, he just brings more stability and is going to be able to pick up an offense quicker. So I think that that's a, that's a key component to this. So for both of those reasons, I think that he's a very good fit. It was a very solid move. Um, I don't think Phil is going to, you know, walk in the door and instantly be the, the third hi- highest receiver in terms of production. Uh, because I think that Greg Olson, um, and Will Disley are potentially going to be those guys behind Tyler and, and DK, but Phil absolutely can bring a, a big play ability to the offense and a reliable receiver. So I, I'm going to be very curious to see what the Seahawks do in the draft when it comes to receivers because there's a couple guys that they could take a look at and, and, and bring in, and those guys not have as much pressure on them. Um, but Phil alleviates some of that concern as to who is going to be that third receiver on the depth chart. Um, and uh, so I thought it was a smart move on, in that regard. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, because in fact, I did my uh, mock draft for three rounds. I had 16 wide receivers <laughs> go in the first three rounds, and that tells me, and of course it was even confirmed even more by so many others, there's about 25 receivers with third-round grades or more, which basically says that you go in the fifth round and you can get a receiver with a third-round grade. But one guy that I'm curious about is that how does this team get John Ursua on the field? Because you know you know how good Tyler Lockett is in the slot, and Ursua is a pure slot wide receiver. How does he get on the field? That's a great question, John. Uh, the way that John Ursua can get on the field is by being more flexible with Tyler, um, with Tyler Lockett. And so what I mean by that is, you know, Lockett for the majority of the year played a significant amount of snaps from the slot. And I think, you know, for this offense, you know, what they have the luxury of is that Tyler, to start his career, has been more of an outside receiver than he was a slot when Doug Baldwin was playing and so he has that capability of being both in the inside and the outside and those times that that you have Tyler lined up on the outside now you can plug John Ursua into the game and and so really it's going to be a matter of how quickly uh and how much growth John Ursua has shown in year two because you and I both know that this organization the Seahawks they love John Ursua they're very very high on him but as you mentioned it's about trying to find a way to get him on the field and part of that is him helping himself showing that he has matured learned the offense um, in a way where they can feel comfortable uh, moving Tyler to the outside uh, at times and I think that that for this offense John they've got the weaponry to uh, be very dynamic on offense. We've seen that um, at, at times in 2018 and more so in 2019. But what they need to do more often is move around their playmakers, which is Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf. And as the year progressed, you saw D.K. Metcalf in particular be moved around and, and run more uh, routes in the route tree than what he did at the beginning of the year. It's not even close. Um, and so it, that's going to be on um, offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer. That's going to be on pass game coordinator Dave Canales to try and find ways 
to move Tyler and DK around um, in unique ways to uh, get them the ball in, in advantageous situations. And that is only going to help a player like John Ursua see the field more often. A lot of great stuff. Uh, Jay Keeps, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Schooled with the Professor. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, John. Anytime. Hey, Jake. Yes. Jake. Okay, a couple, couple off-the-record questions. Are they going to bring uh, Gino back? Um, you know, they're, I think they want to, but they're always, as you know, they're always going to look at the draft. Yeah. So, they're, you know, they're going to go through the draft. If there's anybody that falls into their lap that they're interested in, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll take a gamble on that guy and they'll, they'll pick him in the late rounds. But um, I think that the goal is ultimately to bring back Gino um, if things don't work out. Yeah. What do, you, do you think there are going to be more two tight ends this year, too? Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine, John, that they're not going into the year saying we're going to play a ton of two tight ends. I think they're going to play a lot of 12 personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be it would be smart on their end. I mean, you know, if you could have Disley and Olsen on the field at the same time, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good, unique combination. Yeah. And uh, what do you think they do at running back? I think, John, the more and more we approach the draft, the more and more I, I think that they're going to be heavily looking at running back. I just I just can't imagine them going through this draft not taking a running back. And what's going to be interesting is seeing how high they go in their selection for running back because um, there's a guy named A.J. Dillon from Boston College who's a big physical runner. Um, and a lot of teams are have – you know, a variety of different grades on him, but he's a guy that can slip and fall behind in the draft, you know, be a, a fifth, sixth type of uh, round pick. Um, Zach Moss is another one from Utah who, uh, just based off his production, um, could be a third rounder, but he's got a little bit of, uh, uh, of an injury um, situation that he's been dealing with since after this season um, that prevented him from running at the Combine. Um, or running well at the combine, I should say he ran at the combine, but um, he uh, so he could slide a little bit too. So those are two interesting players that they could maybe get later in the draft. But obviously, um, Jonathan Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, I think, is a guy that they're definitely keeping their eye on yeah. somewhere in that second round. Yeah, so, what about Cam uh, Akers? Um, Cam Akers, I think that there's intrigue in him for sure. Um, uh, it really comes down to do they see his style fitting into what they want to do? Um, so that's the interesting question for me, John. I, you know, those three names I threw at you are guys that yeah. I've really taken a good look at. Um, I haven't taken a strong look at Acres yet. Um, and, uh, and so I'll, uh, I'll get back to you on that one, okay. what, what they're thinking on him. Yeah. Where, where do you think it goes as far as defensive end? Man, I I'm with you, John. I just can't imagine that they don't try and find their solution before the draft. Have to, have to, because um, they, they, you know, because they, they they don't want to stay there at uh, 27 and to take, uh, you know, Maytor, the Boston College or the Iowa guy. It's like they that's it's just not good yeah. enough. I mean, you know, Chase no. on would be the guy that they would have to trade up for because he's either going to go to Miami or uh, the Dallas Cowboys at 17 or 18. Right. So he'll be the second edge rusher to go, but uh, you'd have to trade up to do it. And now, now they're down to you know six or five draft choices. That's not good enough. Yep. Correct. That, and you and I both know that John is not gonna. He's not gonna do that. Um, 
So I, I'm I'm curious to see what they end up doing. That's where I think that I don't think they're going to take an edge rusher in the draft, at least not early yeah. on. I think that they're going to they're going to look at defensive tackle. Um, so that's kind of where I've narrowed my sights on. Is it you, you look at the holes on the roster? It just seems like they're very much uh, you know ripe for taking a uh, interior defensive tackle. Um, you know, and, and what style? Um, I think that they obviously they want to get some sort of uh, defensive tackle that has some pass rushing skills to them, um, because obviously they could go into the you know third wave of free agency and find a plugger, or later in the rounds and, and find a plugger um, uh, that they like. So um, I think that that's where they're going to go with their early selections. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's stay in touch. Okay. All okay. Right, and if you need me, just let me know. Man. Okay, we'll do. All right. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.